awkward, but my name is Jesse, and uh, I'm the student pastor here. Um, I'm glad that you're, you're all really wide awake today. I, I told someone on the way out for their third round of coffee, the trick to being in church is to be more caffeinated than the preacher, and so you're doing, you're doing good. Uh, yeah, I got, that's the first time I've ever had an amen at Carpenter's Way. Everybody raises their, their coffee. <laughs> Um, that's good. That's good. Well, um, we're, we're kind of closing out a series. We have one more week after this. Uh, we, we've been working through Genesis. So we're probably on the week 13, week 14 of Genesis. We're calling the series Once Upon a Time because once upon a time, everything was perfect. Let's, let's just be honest for a second that, that if, if we understand our current situation, we look around and we're like, you know what? This isn't right. Something's wrong with this. There's something wrong with the way so-and-so treated so-and-so. There's something wrong with how that politician treated that person. Person. There's something wrong with how I feel in this moment. And, and anytime we come to that realization, like, I feel like there's something wrong, we're pointing back that there's something in our psychology, there's something in our spirit, probably at the very basis of who we are, that says things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Therefore, we understand that there was a way that it was supposed to be. So uh, this series, as we work through Genesis, we, we begin with saying that like everything was great at one point, but then it all broke at some point. So what we understand is that humanity uh, breaks this, but in Genesis 3, at the same breath of us understanding why everything is broken, God says, I'm going to begin a rescue plan. And so all of Genesis, and really all of the Old Testament, is this unfolding of the rescue plan, how uh, how God has uh, begun this rescue plan, and it unfolds all the way to Jesus, who we celebrate and we sing these songs when we say that his ways are higher and he knows just what I need because the rescue plan has been fully enacted and we get to celebrate that. And one of the ways that we're going to celebrate that today is to see how twisted and how messed up it was all the way through Genesis. And so the rescue plan was enacted in Genesis 3, and then you see like all of humanity sort of starts to crumble and fall apart, and then there's the flood, and there's, there's all of that. But then, but then you have this, this moment where God says, okay, I'm going to take my rescue plan, this covenant, this promise, and I'm going to, I'm going to start with just one man and his one family. I'm going to bless this man and his family. And so we start with Abraham, and it unfolds after that that generation after generation from there, you see two things happening. Um, uh, you, see, you see Abraham uh, taking the promise and then not living up to his end of it, but God being merciful and still living up to his end of it. And then Abraham has a child, right? Yeah, Isaac, okay. Everybody's like, I think I remember this in Sunday school at some point. Yeah, so uh, Abraham has a child, and this child grows up, and he has the promise given to him. And God says, I'll be your God if you'll be my people. And, and, and Isaac, he doesn't quite live up to his end of the bargain, yet God is merciful, and he lives up to his end of the bargain. The rescue plan stays intact. And then Isaac has children. You have Jacob and Esau, and you see the same thing. It unfolds again that you have this long history of people who, you know, we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't always do the thing we're supposed to do. Is God still capable of working out his rescue plan? And if we don't learn anything else from Genesis is that humanity can really mess some things up. Nothing has been bigger than, than what God can accomplish. Like he hasn't bumped into the problem yet in Jacob, in, in Esau, in Abraham, and Isaac. He hasn't bumped into the problem yet. It's like, oh. You foiled my rescue plan. You really messed it up that time because God is really good at what he does. He's really good at making promises and keeping his promises. So far, God is batting a thousand on keeping his promises. And that's true, not just in the Old Testament, what we're about to read, but it's also true of your life as well. So we're going we're gonna to try to unpack that a little bit. I'm going to be uh, this morning... 
in two different parts of Genesis, uh, because we're going to cover a lot of ground, uh, but not in a lot of time, because that's, that's the magic of being on stage. Uh, we'll start in Genesis chapter 39, so I'll give you a chance to get there, and, and let's just remember kind of where we were last week, if, if you were here. Um, we had uh, uh, Jacob, who also goes by another name. Anybody remember? Israel, man, so, you guys are so smart. Uh, so you have uh, Jacob slash Israel. He has 12 sons, but he only has one favorite son. And you're like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like something the big brother would say. No, he said it too. Like he, he had a favorite son. He's like, hey, dad, is Joseph your favorite? He's like, yeah, pretty much. Uh, Christmas time, everybody gets a stick. Joseph gets a coat of many colors. Like, like he really loved Joseph so much so that his brothers hated him. And they, they made this plot. They're like, yo, uh, we're going to kill that fool. <laughs> and, so, and so Joseph, he's walking around the countryside. Uh, he shows up in his coat of many colors. His brothers see him. They, they begin the plan to kill him. And one of them's like, hey, 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 let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Let's make some money off of him. So they made about $11 off of their brother selling him into slavery. And where we left off last week was that Joseph was sold into slavery and taken into Egypt. And his brothers, the other 11 of them, took the coat. Uh, they, they put some goat blood on it. And they took it back to dad and be like, I don't know what happened to him. And his dad thinks that he got eaten by a lion. Now imagine, imagine being in that scenario where your favorite son, not hypothetically, literally your favorite son, and you told everybody he was your favorite, you're having his funeral. All the while, Joseph is somewhere else, and his circumstances are completely out of his control. He, he's being sold on the slave market. His life is completely upside down. And it'd be easy to stop right here and be like, man, Sure, I'm glad God had a rescue plan, but there's no way he can work this out right here, right? I mean, there's no, like the whole family is breaking apart. The rescue plan was dependent on this one family being able to stay together. Now they're murdering each other, selling each other into slavery. Uh, if, if you come from a, a messed up family or if you have messed up circumstances, there's really good news by the end of this morning. Who here has ever been blamed for something you didn't do? Anybody? That's the worst, isn't it? Uh, this is going to come as a shock to you. Um, I spent most of my school time uh, in the principal's office or in OCS or ISS because I went to enough schools. I knew all the letters for all the different detentions. They just put me in all of them. They're like, ABC, send Jesse there. Um, I, and, and most of the time, I would say 75% of the time, I knew why I was going. I shouldn't have said that. I should have done that. I should have done my homework. I knew what was going on. But there's these times, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm in my 30s now. I still don't know what I did. I, I ended up in trouble, and it was just kind of like I had a reputation for being in trouble. So they're like, well, if someone stole it, it must have been Jesse. Oh, if, if someone, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, locked the door, it must have been Jesse. And there was this time, I, I was thinking about this as I was coming up. I was like, I want to share just like one story. Which one would I choose? Because I have a bunch I could tell you. But when I was in third grade, um, I, I have what the doctors like to call ADHD, more initials. And, and so sometimes things will pop in my head, and I'll do things, and I'm like, wait, I don't even know why I did that. And uh, so I'm, I'm in third grade, and we're all kind of lined up in our rows, and we're all sitting still, except me. And, and I get in trouble there, which wasn't abnormal, so I have to go stand by the, the wall. And so I have, I'm told Jesse faced the wall, which was really rude, by the way, Miss <laughs> Richardson, if you're in here. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm facing the wall, and all these kids are doing things behind me, and the teacher is talking, and I'm not mad. I'm not angry. In fact, I kind of like the special attention, if I had to be honest with you. Like, I, I'm called out, and I'm, I'm up against the wall. And so for some reason, like, an episode of Cops burst in my head, and so I grab the wall like I'm, like I'm going to prison. 
and I'm immediately in trouble, and I'm rushed off to the principal's office, and I have to talk to Miss Chapman, which in third grade, you do not want to deal with Miss Chapman. She's 422 years old. She's dealt with every problem kid ever. So Miss Chapman set me straight. I don't know what I did. She goes, you know what you did? I'm not sure which part of this got me in trouble. I I don't know. She goes, you need to go apologize to Miss Richardson. I'm thinking to myself, for what? What did I do? Like, I didn't do anything to her. I I pretended to go to prison, and I got pulled out of line, but I didn't do anything to Miss Richardson. I I don't understand. And and so she takes me down, and she says, if you don't apologize to Miss Richardson, you're going to be in detention for a week. And so I'm like, I apologize. Now, to be honest with you, I completely lied. I had no idea what I was apologizing for, but I gave the most sincere, tear-filled apology, and I'm let back in Miss Richardson. Class. Can I tell you guys something? That was almost 30 years ago. I've still not figured out what I did. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I'm in a situation that was outside of my control and, in fact, probably wasn't even my fault. In some parts, was maybe, maybe there was a misunderstanding. I don't know. But my circumstances were out of my control. If you've ever been in a situation where things went sideways and it wasn't because you made a bad choice, I mean, so we have those, don't we? Like, we own our mistakes, we take our licks. Like, I really messed that one up. There are sometimes where things just go wrong, and you're like, man, why, why am I going through this? Like, why would God let this happen in my family? Did I take a left when I was supposed to take a right? Did I disobey? Maybe I didn't pray enough. Maybe, let me just throw this out there, maybe you didn't do anything. Maybe circumstances just sometimes happen that way, and that's just how things line up. That's where we find Joseph. Joseph, I mean, sure, he told his brothers about his dream, but did he deserve to be, like, attempted murder and, you know, sold as a slave? No. And so he finds himself in slavery in Egypt, and his circumstances um, don't really, they weren't his fault. But by the end of this, uh, if we follow along together, by the end of this, what we're going to see is that um, his circumstances did not overwhelm God's plan, his rescue plan for Joseph and his people, and ultimately for us, because we're all beneficiaries of it. So if you have your Bible, uh, I'm going to start in uh, Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph, verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar and uh, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. Remember, that's who had taken him for slaves, uh, who, had bought, uh, who had brought him down there. So the, the story begins where we're at is that now Joseph has made it into uh, Egypt. And lo and behold, the person to buy him as a slave is the uh, uh, chief of the guards. He is like, you have, you have Pharaoh, who's like president of Egypt, and then you have the secret service, the guards, who protect Pharaoh. This is the chief of the secret service of Egypt, who is like, yeah, Joseph, I'm going to get you. If you're a slave and you're, you're like being sold on the market, this is a pretty good situation to be in if you have to be a slave. But, I mean, nobody wants that. Um, verse 2, it says, Then the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight, um, in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field." 
So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. I'm going to pause for a second and just say, here's what's happening. Um, When I was in trouble uh, at school or just in life, everybody knew about it. And I'm going to have a bad attitude with you. You're going to see it on my face. Like, I'm going to, I'm like, immediately, if things aren't going my way, I have a tendency to just kind of be, like, grumpy and make sure things don't go your way, too. Okay? Anybody else? Like, we're going to make sure everybody's as miserable as me. Joseph has the opposite effect. Joseph is in a situation that is completely outside of control. He, was, he belonged to a wealthy family in Israel, and now he's being sold as a slave. But instead of making his situation miserable and everybody else's situation miserable, it says that the favor of God was on him, and God blessed everything that he did. And we have to assume from that that Joseph was just like making the best of a bad situation. He chose in his situation not to let his circumstances determine what his behaviors would be. He chose instead to honor God despite his circumstances being outside of his control. And in return, he gets risen in rank in uh, uh, Potiphar's house. Now, he was brought in this. We need to understand that Joseph is probably between 17 years old and 20 years old when this happens. We know that he was 17 years old when he started having dreams with his brothers. And it didn't take long before they sold him into slavery. So he's a young guy. And he's in Potiphar's house. He's really high up in terms of houses in Egypt, and, and he, he serves God and he serves his master so well in this situation that everybody who saw Joseph knew that God blessed him, and he has just risen in rank and rank, and eventually before it's over with, Potiphar says, everything in my house is yours. Whatever you want, whatever you say goes. There's nobody in this house who has more authority than you except me. If you want something done. You tell any of these servants to do it, and they need to listen to you as if they're listening to me. Like, he's risen up in rank. That's really nice. One one really awesome thing about Joseph, he had a lot of bad qualities last week. One really great quality about Joseph right here is that despite his circumstances being unfavorable, he didn't let it control his behavior, and he chose to be faithful to his God despite what was going on. Except this one thing. Uh, Joseph has a fatal flaw. I have the same fatal flaw. It's no surprise to you. But uh, if you can go back to to verse 6 right there, please. Uh, Joseph, it says at the very end, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And that's the beginning of his problems right there. And honestly, the beginning of most of our problems. Right, guys? I mean, like... Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip the next about two chapters, and I'm just going to like, give you some highlights. There was one person in uh, Potiphar's house that really liked what she saw when she saw Joseph, and it was Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife decided, you know what, uh, I'm, going, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to sleep with him, and, and he, 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 he don't do that. He's like, no, I'm going, God, uh, Joseph says, I'm going to do this God's way. And so every time you read this, you can read the rest of the chapter, every time you read this, you have uh, Potiphar's wife making a move on Joseph, and Joseph's like, no, and he's like, out of there. He's like, peace, I'm gone, I'm not going to do that. And one time they have a conversation, and Potiphar's wife is like, why? Why not? You have anything you want in this entire house, why wouldn't you do this? And Joseph's response is really telling. Joseph says this. Joseph says, why would I take the only thing my master has kept from me? He's given me everything. Why would I do this thing? It is, it is not right in the sight of my master. It's not right in the sight of my God. I'm not going to do that. And so she grabs his cloak uh, that, that Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar had given him, and, and he runs out of the room and rips the clothes off. And now she begins telling lies about Joseph. And Joseph ends up in prison because of the lies that she's telling. So 
Joseph's circumstances, if you're following the story arc, things are going good with dad. He's dad's favorite. Brothers get mad at him. He goes, he's sold in slavery. He rises up in rank as he honors God and honors his master in Potiphar's house. Everything's going great. And then because of circumstances outside of his control, he's thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He goes from the bottom to the top to the bottom to the top. You follow me? And each time he's in a bottom or a top, his response is the same. I'm just going to honor God. So he ends up in prison. This is uh, all of chapter 40 right here. He ends up in prison, and um, the, the, the prison guard notices that he's a really good leader in prison, which is really weird. I, I, anybody here watch, like, uh, uh, Locked Up Abroad or, like, some of those prison shows where, like, they interview the prisoners? And some, some of you are like, no, Jesse, you sinner. Well, listen, it's good to see how people, you know, act. You get in some of these prisons, and it's really funny that there's this hierarchy system that, that you have the people who are, like, in ad seg. See, I know my, my lingo. <laughs> uh, you have people who are, who are really in a lot of trouble in prison, but then you have these other people like they kind of walk the line and they, they obey the guards. And what ends up happening to that group of people is that they're given extra, okay, you can go work in the kitchen or you can do this. I'll put you over this squad of people. Like they're given a little bit more authority. And that's sort of what happens to Joseph. While he's in prison, the guard sees that he's a really good leader and that he's like honorable. And so they rise him in rank. He ends up like the, 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 the highest prisoner there is. There's no, he is given charge over other prisoners. Like other people will come to prison and be like, yeah, Joseph is going to be the one telling you what to do. Isn't he a prisoner? He's got like the striped shirt on too. Like, yeah, he's a prisoner, but trust me, do what he says. Like it happens again. He honors God in his situation. He rises to the top. So, but he's still in prison, which, which stinks. He can't go anywhere he wants. And two people come to prison uh, with him. Uh, you, you have the royal uh, cupbearer and the royal baker. They come to prison on the same day. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about what happened to them, like why they went to prison, what their crimes were. I just want to speculate for a second. What could cause the royal cupbearer and the royal baker to come to prison at the same time? Pharaoh was really mad at them. I have a theory that the royal baker baked a cake that the, that the Pharaoh was allergic to. Because the cupbearer's job is to make sure that nobody poisons the pharaoh. That's, that's what his job is. And so if the cupbearer does anything wrong in, in the realm of being a cupbearer, he's done something that let a piece of food or a piece of drink pass in front of the pharaoh that got him sick. So my theory is this, just for what it's worth. Uh, the baker baked a cake that the pharaoh was allergic to. The cupbearer didn't catch it, and the pharaoh broke out in hives and got mad. And so he throws them both in prison, the one who baked it and the one who didn't keep it from him. I don't know if that's true or not, but we'll go with that for now. But they're now in prison, and they're really scared. Um, you know those first moments of being in trouble, the first moment of being in the principal's office? I know it well. Maybe, maybe you don't. You know that moment where um, you have all the reason in the world to stress about what's going to happen next, but you have none of the power to control what happens next, and you're really nervous about what you think might be coming next? That's those two guys. They're thrown in prison by Pharaoh. They might be killed. So they start having weird dreams and stuff. They're really nervous. And at one moment we read in uh, chapter 40 that, that Joseph goes and talks to him like, hey, guys, you're not sleeping so well. What's, what's going on? It's like, we're having really weird dreams. Well, tell me your dreams. Tell me about it. And so Joseph interprets the dreams of these two guys. And one of them, it's really funny because uh, he, he interprets the cupbearer's ones first. And he tells him the dream. He goes, oh, I'll tell you what that dream means. It means that uh, you're going to be in here for three more days and Pharaoh is going to raise your head and you're going to be reinstated back into the position you were. Oh, sweet. 
That's really good news. I mean, this guy, he, he knows stuff. He's Joseph. And, and so now the baker, he comes to him, and he probably was kind of scared to ask him about the dream, but now he really liked it. Says, so since, uh, since the baker saw that it was favorable, he says, hey, Joseph, tell me about my dream. He goes, oh, yeah, your dream is kind of the same thing. Oh, tell me about it. Well, in three more days, the Pharaoh's going to raise your head pause off of your body. <laughs> just, he says, he says, he's going to, you're going to be executed in three days. Sorry about you. And, uh, he goes, Oh, that's really bad news. Well, both of these dreams come to pass. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, he says, Hey, remember me when you get out of here, tell the Pharaoh that I was brought here against my will. I didn't do the crime that I was committed. In fact, I should have never been sold into slavery. What he says is that he was kidnapped out of the land of the Israelites, which is a crime. If you remember from last week, a crime punishable by death in the entire region. If he said that, and if if it was true, there's no reason for Joseph to even be here. And he says, hey, when you get back to Pharaoh, tell him. Now, Joseph can't control his circumstances, can't control his environment. The only thing he can control is his behaviors, and he honors God throughout the entire situation. And he finds himself in a situation where he tells the cupbearer, hey, remember me when you go back. And the cupbearer celebrates, I'm out of here, I'll remember you, sure, I'll tell Pharaoh everything. But then he doesn't. He doesn't tell Pharaoh a lick of anything. And so Joseph spends another two years in prison. We don't know how old he is through all of this, but he's getting on up there in age. We know that when he gets out of prison, Joseph is 30 years old. He goes into slavery at 17. He gets out of prison in 30 years. So everything we've read right here isn't happening over the course of weeks or months, which is our usual timeline that we want whenever God promises us things or when we're hoping God to do Like, God, I really want you to do something. And it's been 30 minutes now, God. Are you, like, are you listening? Are you still awake? God's timeline is sometimes a lot longer than, than what we're comfortable with. Sometimes God's timeline is just, it's bigger and exponentially bigger than, than what we would expect. In Joseph's case, He's been, he's been riding this roller coaster a long, long time. Pharaoh starts having dreams. Pharaoh can't figure out his dreams. He says, can anybody figure out my dreams? He starts asking everybody. No, like, I don't know. That's a weird dream you got there, Pharaoh. I don't know. And the cupbearer's like, oh, hey, I know this one guy. He can, he can read dreams. He, he knows all about dreams. He knows a lot. Okay, well, tell me about him. And so uh, Joseph comes and tells Pharaoh his dream, and he interprets it, saying there's going to be seven years of uh, feast where you have all the grain in the world you could ever want. Like, you, there's, so much, there's so much abundance. Like, you, 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 it's ridiculous. You're not even going to be able to count it. It's going to be so much. But the problem is, is that after that seven years, it's going to be seven years of famine, not just for Egypt, but for the entire world. Like, nobody in the world is going to be able to get food. My recommendation to you, Pharaoh, is that you, for those seven years of plenty, you stock up. And for the seven years of drought, you use that to feed everybody instead of just living on what you have. Like, let's plan ahead a little bit. And Pharaoh liked his dreams so much that he takes Joseph out of prison and he brings them back into power. That's, that's two chapters of Joseph up and down, up and down. He's 30 years old now. And every step of the way, he honors God despite his circumstances. Pick up with me. I'm now in chapter 41. We're going to be at the end of 41, uh, verse uh, 38. It says, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this, this is Joseph, in whom is the spirit of God? Something, and what's great about this is that there's no reason for Pharaoh to know anything about God, Yahweh, except for Joseph. Joseph lived his life in such a way that pagan people who believed that they themselves were God, Pharaoh, uh, looked at him and says, I can't find anybody else around here who has the spirit of God on him like you do, Joseph. 
It says, can we find anybody like this? Verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. That sounds familiar. Now he's being raised up, not just in the, the chief officer of Pharaoh. He's actually in Pharaoh's house himself, and he's being raised up into the same level of, of privilege. Only as regards to the, to the throne will I be greater than you. He says, the only thing that is different between me and you is that I'm Pharaoh and you're not. But as far as what you say goes, it's as good as if I said it. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Verse 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen. I, I got to believe that when Moses or whoever wrote this, uh, he was remembering the coat of many colors. And there's like a parallel here between Joseph having his coat ripped off of him, which was the representation of his authority with his dad, and the coat being reinstated on him, which is now the representation of his authority with Pharaoh. I also think that Jesus thought about this story when he told the story of uh, the prodigal son who comes back to dad, and dad gives him a ring and a coat back on him and says, listen, son, you're mine, and I'm protecting you now from this device, except the prodigal son's circumstances were his own making. This one, Joseph, he didn't, he didn't have control over this. He didn't make that mistake. Then he puts a gold chain around his neck. I always like to think of this like a Mr. T chain, like, it's a, like with a clock on it or something. And he made him ride in his second chariot. That, that would be so sweet. Like, I think, think of the president who has the limo with like the little uh, American flags on it. And then like his second limo that he has whenever his first limo breaks down. That's what Joseph is riding around in. He's riding around in Pharaoh's second chariot. So he has swag on. He has the Pharaoh's ring on. He has a coat. And anything he says goes. And he's walking or, like he's riding around in town with like his nice subwoofers in the back. Probably like a little like entourage with him. He, he is styling. And it happens like that. He had, it, it, there's nothing, by the way, that would make a slave earn that level of um, respect, that level of power, that level of prestige. One of the interesting things about circumstances is that we, we tend to celebrate the good for getting to thank God for it, and we mourn the bad begging God to change it. But in, in the meantime, like, we don't always have control over the good or the bad. We don't, we don't always earn the good or earn the bad. And Joseph is kind of like that. He didn't, he didn't do anything to like, oh, by the, by, by the power of like his math skills, he earned the right to be Pharaoh's second in charge. It was just, it was just given to him. It was, it was just, here you go. He says, and they called out before him, bow the knee. He yells out in this chamber where all these people are, and he, the Pharaoh commands all these people to bow the knee to Joseph. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, I'm going to try this, Zepinath Paneha. Zepinath Paneha. Man, I, that should have been an applause. Um, What's interesting uh, in changing his name, he's saying one, one, one thing. He's saying, you're one of us. The second thing that's happened right here is that he says, I'm Pharaoh, but whatever you say goes. Pharaoh is basically abdicating all of his authority. He, he's saying, listen, you run this country. I'm, I'm going to take a break for a second. You take care of this. And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Potiphera is most likely a different person than Potiphar, but I was reading some uh, Jewish scholars think it was just a, uh, like, 
Potiphar had a good name, and then they started calling him Potiphera, which is like a female version of the name. And they think, they think that, uh, that Joseph may have been given in marriage to Potiphar's daughter. That's one of the theories. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it would be funny. It would be interesting. Verse 46, Joseph was 36 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, which is exactly what Joseph said would happen. Verse 48, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until it, he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured measured. This guy is doing everything he said. You can't even count the amount of grain this guy has stored up. And it's in this abundance. Now you have to know, um, I don't have time to go into like the leadership lessons of Joseph, but you have to know like at year two or three, people are like, yo, can we eat some of that stuff? Like we would make a huge profit. And Joseph's like, no. And you dare not go up against Joseph because if you did, you're going up against Pharaoh himself. I I just assume that people would, would do that, but you can't measure it. And it says in verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. A Sinath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. An interesting thing about Joseph is that as he's kind of assuming his adulthood things, and he starts thanking God for the position that he's in. He, he probably believes that like this is going to be his final station. We know that the story unfolds in a very different way. But he, he, he's, he begins thanking God for the situation he's in. He's like, you know, I've forgotten my affliction. Uh, God, God's, God's made me plentiful despite my affliction. He, he's remembering God in his circumstances, even in the good. There's a lesson to be had right there. When we cry out to God with our prayers when things are going bad, that makes a lot of sense. What we forget, though, is this part. When things start turning around for the good, man, thank you. I had no control over the bad or the good, God, but you have saw fit to bless me. Thank you for that. Verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And I wonder if they had a calendar and they knew, like, oh, it's year six. It's year seven. It's about to turn. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, not just Egypt, but all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh. They went to the the king. They went to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says you do. Again, I'll just let him do the Pharaohing thing. I'm, I'm done with that. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Um, Joseph was faithful to God in his circumstances. And as a result of that, God made a way for an entire people group to survive. An entire people group was blessed because of one man's obedience. And an interesting twist right there at the end is that the famine wasn't just for Egypt, but it was for all the lands. And one of the, the great mysteries of God is that his ways are higher than our ways. I mean, we just sang the song right before I got on stage, that his ways are higher, you know just what I need. And it turns out that what Joseph needed 
was for a famine, not just for his country, but for the entire nation. Because one, he planned for it, but two, it affects his brothers and his dad. And it's going to create a way next week that we're going to look at. It creates a way for his brothers and his dad to come back and be reunited with Joseph. And it's emotional and it's twisted all the way through. God's ways are so high that we don't even understand the, the cosmic ramifications for what we're going through in our moment. And it could be that what you're dealing with today is something that's going to bless an entire family in seven years. That, that's entirely possible. And I always wonder what would happen if God just kind of opened up the, the curtain a little bit and said, hey, Jesse, I'm, I'm just going to tell you something. Uh, you're about to go through A, B, and C. I don't want to, God. I don't want to. Okay, okay. No, shh, calm down. It's not, it's not up to you. You're going to do it anyway. But... Uh, you're going to go through A, B, and C, but I promise you that this family, this family, and this family are going to learn about me because of your obedience in this. Would you take that challenge, Jesse? And I'd be like, I think I would say, yeah. I think I would go through just about anything if I knew that God was going to bless it. One of the mysteries of God's rescue plan is that he's been rescuing folks all this time. And some of you are in here because you've been rescued and you celebrate this God who has rescued you through song and worship, you, you know who you're celebrating because you've been rescued. Some of us are in here just wishing that the rescue plan would apply to me, would make it all the way here. Like, my situation's really jacked up, Jesse. Like, my brother sold me in slavery, too. It's probably not true. But you hope that the rescue plan works. Here, here are just a few takeaways I want to leave us with, with Joseph, and we'll land the plane with Joseph next week. But the first is this, is that we like to pretend we do, um, but we don't. We don't determine our circumstances. We plan for the future, we go to college, we put money in the savings account, but everybody in here has been sideswiped by a circumstance that wiped out your savings, or you had to drop out of college, or family have, you got a health thing, or you know, a baby's on the way, and like, our circumstances aren't really in our control. We can plan with wisdom, but our circumstances aren't in our control. One of, one of the most freeing things we can do is to acknowledge that. And to stop spending all of our energy worrying about tomorrow. Because what Jesus said is that which one of you has enough power to make one more hair grow on your head? None of us do, Jesus. That's right. That's the point. You don't control your circumstances. But we act like we do. The second thing we can learn from Joseph is that we, um, are, uh, we don't determine our circumstances, but our circumstances don't determine our behavior. And that's the other lie that we do. Now, I have children. You, many of you have children. Um, one of the conversations that I have with my child more often than not is, uh, okay, well, why did you do that? Well, I did that because she did this. Or I did that because this happened. It's like, no, no, no. See, see, you're telling me that your circumstances made you do that. Your circumstances made you act in that way. And the lie that we even tell ourselves as adults is like, of course, of course I yelled at them when they cut me off. They cut me off. No, no, no. No, their actions, your circumstances, don't need to control your behavior. They didn't control Joseph's behavior. And one of the marks of being a uh, mature Christian is whenever you begin uh, uh, relying on your station with God to determine your behavior rather than your circumstances determining your behavior. One, one, of the, one of the hardest lies to break and one of the most freeing lies to break is that one that we all do. We all have the tendency, we throw our hands up and say, it's out of my control. I couldn't do anything about it. That's why I did that. And we need to stop taking that excuse. Which brings me to the third point, and that is this. Faithfulness to your God is always possible, no matter what your circumstances are. Hey, Jesse, I just won the lottery. I got $16 million. Man, faithfulness to God is a possible option. You're like, hey, you bet it is. I'll buy 14 churches. Okay, nobody in here won the lottery. Hey, Jesse, I just got a really bad call from my doctor, and I'm really scared about what the next three months is going to happen. Okay, 
Faithfulness to God is an option in that situation. Hey, Jesse, my wife told me that she wants to leave me. Hey, Jesse, my husband is cheating on me. Okay, there's a lot that we can say right there, but faithfulness to God is always an option in that situation. If we learn nothing else from Joseph, I, th- I think that this is a big one. So whatever you find yourself in, from the highest of highs in Pharaoh's house to the lowest of lows in a prison or being left for dead by your brothers, faithfulness to your God is always a possibility that you can take. You can choose other options, but faithfulness is an option that you can take. The last one is this, is that, and I'm so thankful for this. This is why I love reading these twisted, like Jerry Springer stories in Old Testament, is that God hasn't found a problem that sabotages his rescue plan. He begins this rescue plan in Genesis 3, and we see family after family just like, like give him every bad situation he can. And if I'm God, I can't figure it out, but God did figure it out. He works his rescue plan from this family all the way through to David's family, all the way through all the, all the judges and all the, all the uh, prophets and all the way through. And then you open up the New Testament and you see that Jesus is born. And when you read the lineage of Jesus, which nobody ever does, everybody's like, no, I'll just skip to the next chapter. And I get it. Like, it's kind of boring. You start reading some of these names. Oh, I read about that guy in the Old Testament. He, he, uh, he had some problems. He, he was weird. Oh, I read about that guy. Uh, didn't he get naked and like all of his kids make fun of him? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's happening. That's Jesus' lineage. And we celebrate that the rescue plan was made it, has, has made it all the way through all that junk to Jesus. And now you and I, we get to look back on. They're looking forward and they're like, I have no idea how God's going to work this out. Like that's Moses. Like I promise he can work it out. They don't know. But you and I, we look back and we say this, I I can't find a situation where that circumstance sabotaged God's rescue plan. And your takeaway should be something along the lines of, therefore, this circumstance that is blank, this circumstance that I'm going through, the circumstance that I'm having to deal with, the circumstance that my friends are going through, it must not be able to sabotage God's rescue plan. That the hope of Jesus is still available to me and you because God is still batting a thousand. He makes promises and he keeps them if we trust him. Next week, we'll get together, and we're going to see how God redeems a family. And it's so weird that a man who went through what Joseph went through can forgive a brother who did what he did. But we'll look at that together next week.